Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another episode edition of Observations, where we're smashing all the pop culture and the comic books up because that is the sum total of who and what we are. At least that's how I at least that that's how I see it. And and in in keeping with that particular notion of we are superheroes, today you're gonna be thrilled to know we are b- bursting at the seams with superheroes from both giant, storied, classic, legendary publishers, Marvel and DC. Why? Why the day of all days? Well, we are going to compare, contrast, discuss the histories of the two giant handbooks, the Marvel and DC handbooks, for a lack of a better uh, term, guidebooks, um, informational booklets, Marvel and DC both entered in the mid-80s into a extensive publication of these um, guides to their respective universe. Marvel's was simply referred to as the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. They started an edition of that in 1983. We'll cover the launch of that in just a moment. We, uh, we were then joined later on down the line 1984 brought us Who's Who, which was the name of uh, of the of the DC Comics version of this same compendium. Not same. There are actually quite a few differences, um, which is why we're we are here to discuss them. But the theme is is basically is is basically the same in that they were both they both existed to tell you how tall, how strong. Um, you know what, what? What? What was the exact? Uh, you know, origin and and capabilities of each of these different characters across the entire universes of both publishers. They are presented alphabetically, and they are both drawn by a myriad of some of the greatest talents that were producing comics at that time. Again, the heyday of both of these collections is in the eighties. So um, Marvel got things started, like I said, and then DC joined the uh, joined the uh, the party about a year later, and and um, they they uh, they brought us their who's who, which I thought was really catchy. Who's who? Okay, and uh, and 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 they, they they were both very you know they were competitive, but. I can tell you when it's referred to down the line that the Marvel Universe handbook was just by definition that it's Marvel. It, it did better. It was the better selling of the two, despite what I believe is something that that, that is a, a constant in regards to the Marvel and DC rivalry is that DC definitely, I, I think without fail, outworked them uh, on, on this one because they, they in all in all honesty... They had to, they they literally had to uh, 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 outwork um, uh, Marvel. They had to work harder. Kind of DC always in, especially in the Bronze Era, it felt as if they had to work a little harder because all of the work that Marvel had done in the '70s to build up their line and get key licenses, as we've discussed, like Star Wars and Conan. I mean, again, through this podcast, through these different episodes, we have covered extensively. Not just the history of comics, but but the the history of the business of both respective publishers. And when you go back and you go, you know, Roy Thomas on what really is a fluke goes and gets 
the Conan uh, license that, that really gets launches them into this sword and sorcery platform, that 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 becomes a giant seller for Marvel Comics. Conan, we, we cover this in the Sword and Sorcery, Swords and Sorcery, Barbarians at the Gate episode, a recent episode where um, it is, it you know, it, it's just hilarious how this um, reluctance, they didn't even think they were going to get the license to get Conan sets off this giant success story for them. We then, in 1976-77, they procure the Star Wars license, which I've done also one of my earliest episodes on 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 that uh, is about it, it, uh, one of my earliest observations episode is concerns how Marvel went about procuring the Star Wars license, which was not also without its its drama and headaches and some reluctance in both cases. The interesting thing is that the reluctance in, of Stan Lee in both of these and Roy Thomas's um, diligence. So what does that have to do with these handbooks? Well, it just it it, it Marvel built themselves up and and of course with with the flourish of talent at Marvel in the late 70s, which we've covered again with Frank Miller, many podcasts about Frank Miller's overwhelming success, which which is 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 a tenet of the Bronze Age and and the John Byrne hurricane that swept through Marvel Comics between Marvel Team Up and X-Men and Fantastic Four and the Avengers. And Marvel had built themselves up. They were a substantial company with the number one books. So when you're doing a Marvel Universe handbook that is going to cover every character in the Marvel Universe from A to Z... And then they do an addendum of the dead characters. And why that matters is because I did that. I am the artist on Zodiac the, the, in, the, in the Book of the Dead. This thing is so heavy. I have the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition Omnibus. Both Marvel and DC released their Omnibuses in the last five to six weeks. These are recent tomes. They could stop a bullet. They are giant. They are heavy. Um, together, oh my gosh, maybe they could stop a car. The, these these things are, are considerable. Pages 1360 and 1361 of the Marvel Universe Official Handbook has little Robbie Liefeld's first published Marvel work ever. And that is in Marvel's... Uh, uh, I can't believe they included it in this thing. I was I was pretty curious and pretty, pretty, pretty entertained. But the Zodiac were, um, were the Zodiac 1 which was a, a great, great team that embodied the Zodiac. Aquarius, Aries, you know, you get the drill. Cancer, Capricorn, Pisces, Virgo, Sagittarius, Libra, Leo, Gemini. I, I drew them all. Um, and and this, this was when I got hired from Mark Grunewald in 1987, and he sent me the work. It's, it's uh, the, my, my funny, the funniest thing about this recently is one of the top executives at Marvel Comics, I said, look, I have been through, I think it's seven editor-in-chiefs, so let's go Jim Shooter, let's go Tom DeFalco, then there's the group editor period, which lasted about a year, then there's Bob Harris, then there's Joe Quesada, then there's Axel Alonso, and then there's seven, seven. And the executive said to me, you weren't here during the Shooter era. I said, my first assignment was handed to me in the Shooter era and published as you were exiting the Shooter era. So I have been, this always reminds me that I've got seven editors-in-chiefs underneath my belt at Marvel alone, just Marvel Comics. Now, there are guys who have eight or ten. Okay, there there are there are people with more. There are quite a few with less. Um, I've been around the block, ladies and gentlemen. And and this uh, Marvel Universe handbook, I, I can't believe that I am um, I, I'm fortunate to be at the tail end of this publication and be in this book. The Marvel Universe handbook um, literally 
was was signified by these single figure entries. Um, the Marvel Universe Handbook would would feature single figure entries um, with no backgrounds, always against just a plain blue or plain yellow or red background, whichever was the most complimentary cover. I'm looking at Black Panther right now. I'm looking at Black Talon. I'm looking at Black Widow. Okay, so so they were always a very strong, mainly a passive. Uh, an action stance in kind of the most passive um, kind of representation of that stance, the, or, or the most least aggressive, I guess, would, would be the way that I would describe it. And and the, it's just entry after entry after entry of, of these different characters starting alphabetically in 1983. The, uh, the origin of this is that mighty Jim Shooter, okay, who is the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, and we've covered him. He has his own podcast because I covered the editors-in-chiefs, the EICs. And guys, look, once again, I pride myself on bringing you so many receipts with this. Uh, comic books are my obsession, as, as, as you know. If you've listened to the, the show, it's it's they are, uh, they are one of the, outside of my wife and my children, comic books are the true love of my life. It is my absolute passion. I am thankful every given day that I create comics before I joined you this morning, just so you know, because this, this is a nice slice of life. And I was funny, I was listening to another uh, podcast the other day where someone outlined um, that, that, that there was construction work and you could hear it uh, during their podcast. And this is a very well-known, very popular, very, very uh, 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 again, one of the top podcasts. And the podcaster said, uh, excuse me, the, the, the neighbors are doing construction work and will hopefully, you know, hop across the way and, and talk to them as, 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 as this is, you know, obviously interrupting the podcast and sometimes we have to deal with this. So before I jump, where that applies and pertains to what I'm telling you today. So it is early morning uh, as I bring you this podcast because um, with my kids at home learning during this, uh, my, my, my son who is a senior opted to do the rem remainder of his senior year completely 100% online. Uh, it served his schedule and his purposes and his kind of life goals the best. And so he is here with us constantly. And the best way to get this um, and, and interrupt as many as <laughs> interrupt as many, you know, interrupt as few people as possible is to do this early. Now, my dog, sometimes you've heard him many times. I'm surprised you haven't heard him more. Sometimes if I am alone, I have to get him in my room that I record from and I gather blankets and pillows. But my dog, the beautiful little Joe, um, my, my little dog, Joe is not happy unless, um, mama Liefeld is here. He has a particular thing for her. Don't we all? And, uh, and, 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 and so he pines about 10 minutes into this. He starts this pining that I will not imitate. I cannot imitate my dog nearly as well as I can imitate so many of the other different comic book personalities like Mr. Todd McFarlane. Um, but the dog starts pining and, and I have had to stop the show before and stop it because he is just moaning at such a level that I don't want you to be picking up on that. So, 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 uh, so when the, my wife goes on a walk with the dog generally in the mornings, then now I have come down to this window of time that I jump on here. I was actually drawing a Deadpool, uh, cover, one of the nerdy 30 Deadpool covers that you guys have been seeing that there's going to be so many more. There's only been five of 30 released as of now. Um, every month there's three more. So, so as we go on, you know, the, it may will bring us six, seven, and eight. So yes, I'm plugging the work I do, but I'm telling you, I'm doing comic book work prior to flipping open the laptop, getting the mic set up and coming to you and podcasting. So 
I love comic books. I literally just put down a comic book cover. Deadpool and Spider-Woman is the cover that I was doing this morning. I was doing a lot of different spider webs as part of the background using white paint on a black uh, over the India ink that I used to, to blacken in the background. And now I'm doing all these different white um, webbing. So, so I put that down so I can give you this comic book webcast podcast and bring it to you under the most calm controlled environment that I can muster in my home. Thank God I don't have construction being done outside. Also, can't do this on certain times on Thursdays because that's trash day. And I don't want you hearing the clank and the clank and the clank of all our different trash cans getting. So so again, until um, I get my own dedicated studio space, which I'm looking to rent here soon and get it, get, get a site um, th- this is how I navigate. So, so there's a little behind the scenes of what goes into bringing you this crazy podcast. So, um, I love the, the comic books, you know, I love the comic books and, and, and the idea that, um, that, that, that this, this handbook was, was being launched with Jim Shooter. Again, Jim Shooter has, um, just, uh, guided Marvel to all sorts of success. He gave Frank Miller, uh, the opportunity to write and draw. He gave John Byrne the opportunity to write and draw. He gave Walt Simonson the opportunity to write and draw. Right there, that gets you Beta Ray Bill. That gets you Electra, the hand stick. It gets you some of the best um, uh, Fantastic Four stories that you would that, that still, you know, I mean, literally looking back, to me, the, the Fantastic Four, it, it, it has two peaks. It's Jack Kirby and it's John Byrne and everything else um, it falls under that. And don't argue with me. I know people like to bring up other guys. That's not it. My generation doesn't, feel that same way. John Byrne is a uh, first time, first ballot Hall of Famer, and he is a, you know, key head on the, you know, Mount Rushmore of comics in my book. So when I tell you how important those Fantastic Fours were and the fact that um, Jim Shooter, because he negotiated a lot of peace. John Byrne was not happy on X-Men. He was going to leave. So, so he, he, you know, maybe, maybe if he picks John Byrne to write and draw X-Men and Claremont falls off, we don't get everything that followed, but we definitely don't get the excellence of Byrne's Fantastic Four, which almost ran, I mean, it ran in the 70s in, in, in terms of content um, issues. I mean, ridiculous. Again, Frank Miller, trans, transformative. Walt Simon, transformative. I mean, Jim Shooter, Secret Wars, the, the 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 crossovers. I've done extensive podcast on crossovers, the birth of the modern crossover under Jim Shooter. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, the EIC episode covers Jim, and, 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 and I believe he is the most consequential editor-in-chief that Marvel ever had. I think all the things that he did including giving benefits and 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 uh, character agreement uh, royalties of the likes that, that my generation was able to um, enjoy. He did a lot of really important things. This is one of them. The official handbook of the Marvel Universe is one of them. He had envisioned, Jim Shooter envisioned a guide that would detail statistics in the manner of the same statistics that you would find behind your favorite on the back of your favorite baseball or basketball or football card. He wanted statistics. We are all about statistics nowadays. You know how many times people, like, they'll be like, well, Hugh Jackman isn't, you know, whatever. Right now, let's go to the Wolverine page. Let's check that out. What is Wolverine? Some of you guys are like, Rob, like, you don't need to go there. I can I can tell you right now what Wolverine's height is. But this is what made this so special is that you can now crack this open. Especially, it's like an RPG, like, like fantasy wonder manual. Okay. Wolverine, his name is Logan. His occupation is adventurer. He is a captain in the Canadian Armed Forces assigned to intelligence. Retired, in parentheses. His identity is secret, known to only certain members of the Canadian government. He is his legal status, citizen of Canada, now permanent resident in the United States. No criminal record. 
former aliases, weapon X, place of birth, unknown, marital status, single, known relatives, none, grown affiliation, X-Men, I'm sorry, group affiliation, base of operation, Professor Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, Salem Center, Westchester County, New York, first appearance, gotta know it, Incredible Hulk 180, origin story, partial origin in Alpha Flight 33 and 34, and then the history of Wolverine takes you three pages as they carry you through the history of Wolverine. Um, down at the end of the history, or in the middle of it, it gives you his height. His height is 5'3". Did you know that Wolverine was 5'3"? Now you do. His weight is 195 pounds. These are his official statistics in the Marvel Universe Handbook. His eyes are black. His hair is black. His strength level is normal human strength of a man, physical age, height, and build, who engages in extensive regular exercise and then tells you about his superpowers. So that right there is why this thing exists. The statistics. Wolverine is 5'3". That's why when they cast Hugh Jackman, he's too tall, he's too tall. Well, he kind of wasn't too tall enough to be beloved and embraced and we still are pining for Hugh to not put down the claws, continue to wear them because we love him so much. So this is kind of just a comic book statistic. When I draw Wolverine, do I draw Wolverine taller than Captain America? No, never. Because I know per the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, that he is 5'3". Now, wait a second, wait a second. What about Captain America's height? If you're not going to draw, what is the actual height of Captain America? Well, I don't need to wonder this any further because it's right here. It's right here. Captain America, real name Steve Rogers. Occupation, freelance artist. Did you know that he drew comic books? He did during the 80s. It was cool. Um, he's a crime fighter. His former aliases are Nomad. His legal, legal status, he is a citizen of the United States former, uh, uh, his place of birth, New York City, his marital status, single, known relatives, Joseph, father, Sarah, mother, okay, group affiliation, former member of the Invaders, former partner to Bucky, the Falcon, Nomad, current member of the Avengers, okay, his base of operations is mobile, your mobile, when the English say, may I use your mobile, mobile, he's mobile, all right, but here, here we, here we go, guys, drum roll, please, he is 6'2", listed in the Marvel Universe handbook. Captain America is 6'2", his weight is 240 pounds. He has blonde hair. He has blue eyes. Okay, so um, strength level, let's do that. Captain America represents the pinnacle of human physical perfection. While not quite superhuman, he is as strong as a human being can be. He can lift, press a maximum of 800 pounds with extreme effort. Okay, so this is the reason this book existed. This is why Jim Shooter wanted to go through with this to give the fanboy nerd set of which, hi, I'm raising my hand. That's me. Ra hand raised. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm going to keep it up here for a little while longer so you can count me among the nerd uh, set, the, the nerd men. He wanted the, stat, the statistics. Jim Shooter wanted a guide that had statistics in the manner of those found on the back of your favorite sports cards. The initial name for this project was the Marvel Super Specifications Handbook. Super Specifications doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, even though it didn't trip me up now that twice I've said it. Said it. Uh, the, eventual, the eventual title incorporated was the term Marvel Universe. Al Milgram came up with this, you know, Marvel Universe Handbook. Uh, uh, Shooter appointed Mark Grunewald the, as the editor of the project. Grunewald developed the project to include all aspects of the Marvel Universe, although he noted it was not comprehensive. In addition to Grunewald contributing writers on the initial volumes were Marvel editors Mark Mike Carlin, Elliot Brown, Peter Sanderson. Joe Rubenstein was brought in by Mark Grunewald to be the sole anchor. That's the cool part of this. The really cool kind of 
overarching appeal of this tome is that one of the most celebrated inkers, finishers, embellishers of the age, Joe Rubenstein, was the sole inker of this project because he felt that Joe Rubenstein was best able to make the characters easily recognizable, subverting his own style to that of the handbook's various pencilers. Okay, so th this is um, this is kind of how, at the outset, what the, what the directions were in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. The um, the 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 uh, the form that was handed to everyone in terms of you know creating an entry into the handbook because Captain America is an entry, Wolverine's an entry. Um, it was it included. Uh, it, it needed to consist of a frontal full body view of the character. As I said, most of these are in a kind of a uh, 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 the, kind of the least aggressive, but a, but a, a strong a strong stance. Let's call it a strong stance for all of the male females included throughout the book, monsters, whatever characters there are depicted. A prose describing the character's origin, powers, and other abilities, unique traits, as well as statistics, including birth, aliases, height, weight, hair eye color, so forth. The original edition op opted only to describe the origins of characters, how they acquired their powers, instead of focusing heavily on detailed explanations for how those powers functioned. In the Book of the Dead supplement, hello, Zodiac, right here, however, the handbook provided entire histories for the deceased characters, a trend which was then adopted for the main body of the deluxe edition, allowing the entire life and career of the characters to be covered. Major important pieces of equipment were also given technical illustrations and breakdowns of their functions and features. Um, then they would do um, uh, what, what we call um, paste art, or um, they would they would use um, uh, clips, clip art, clip art from past issues. Captain America, Wolverine, Wolverine has clip art from John Byrne, from Frank Miller, from Paul Smith, from the best depictions of him in action or in in moments of drama. And 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 but the the cons consistently in the beginning here with this official handbook of the Marvel Universe, the Deluxe Edition, because this is the Deluxe Edition. The, or, the original uh, handbook was launched in um, 1982. It was 15 issues, okay? And the, the 13 and 14 issues were, were, were the Book of the Dead inactive, and the 15 was the Book of Weapons, Hardware and Paraphernalia. In 1985, Marvel issued a 20-issue Deluxe Edition, which is what this handbook covers. Technical drawings of equipment are incorporated into the individual character's entries, and numerous entries reference the appendix. The deluxe edition appendix has not been published. This run was also collected in a trade format, multiple trades, and uh, these would have um, updated supplements. But um, supplements for licensed properties were, in fact, published during this time. Conan, G.I. Joe, The Transformers. In 1989, an additional eight-issue supplement was uh, released, denoted denoted the update 89 on the cover, okay? I actually did drawings for that too. Walt Simonson did Apocalypse, but now they were commissioning new clip art, and I was able to do all the clip art for the Apocalypse sequence. 1990 to 1993, they decided to change the format altogether, no longer collecting it as a book. They made them loose leaf like that you could put in a folder, and that is kind of what they did, and there was no looking back from that period. But this brilliant hardcover giant phone book you know unbelievably beautiful tome publishes every entry in the official handbook marvel universe deluxe edition including including the book of the dead stuff now again you're not going to get deadpool or cable in here you're not going to get these characters because they had not yet 
uh, arrived when they began formulating this and creating this and putting this out into the universe. This book sold extremely well. Now, obviously, there is a who's who. They even say this, you know, um, in in the inseam, and and they and they and they talk about featuring artwork by in the um, in in the uh, wraparound of this hardcover. They, 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 they boast all of the names and there are so many, I mean, hundreds of names. I mean, randomly scanning it, it's, you know, it's Brent Anderson, it's Kyle Baker, it's Butch Geis, it's Bob Hall, it's Brian Bolin, it's John Bolton, it's John Byrne, Howard Shakin, Kevin McGuire, Tom Lyle, Walt Simonson, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, Ron Lim, Jim Steranko, you get the picture, Barry Windsor Smith. Um, it was fun getting assignments for this. Again, I, I, I came in right at the end, but the glue that held everything together was indeed Joseph Rubenstein. Joe Rubenstein, to so many of us, he had done some of my favorite entries of all space and time. Uh, of, of he, he inked John Byrne's Captain America run, which only lasted nine or ten issues, uh, and was such a compliment, such a great complimented John Burns pencil really brought kind of a Neil Adams vibe to it. Joe Rubinstein came from Continuity Studios, learned under Neil Adams, worked there in and out of there. I've talked to Joe extensively about this. Joe is in the Guinness Book of World Records as being the inker to ink the most varied amount of 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 pencilers. It says right here, an inker of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Joe Rubinstein literally holds the world record recognized by Guinness. Guinness Book of World Records is the inker who has inked the most pencilers. His extensive Marvel career includes inking Amazing Spider-Man during legendary penciling runs of Ron Friends, Todd McFarlane, Mark Bagley, and others. That's true. That is 100% true. Um, Joe is top flight, uh, one of the uh, shining stars in terms of inkers of the Bronze Age. And whether he was inking Paul Smith or Barry Windsor Smith or John Byrne or George Perez or uh, Sal Buscema, John Buscema, uh, whoever, Ron, Ron Friends, um, Mark Bright, Every name under the sun is 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 drew one of these entries, one of these figures. There is an artist named named Kerry Gamble. He did Power Man, Iron Fist, beautiful figure artist. Drew wonderful entries. He has the angel entry in there, um, and, and the embellishment and the beautiful lines that that that, that Joe put on them. Everybody, it, he brought he brought out the best in every single penciler. Art Adams is in there. Todd McFarlane. The thing about this period also of publishing, color, computer color didn't exist. So the color as it, nowadays the color most definitely, and I ink 90% of my own work, the color competes with the line art. But the color is so um, important that we sacrifice the fact that some of the lines that we put on the page are not going to translate. They're going to be obscured by some of these amazing color palettes, um, color schemes, and color effects. So... With that in mind, uh, you know, pre-computer color, it was the line art that was the star. We, we're, we're, we're talking about mostly flat 2D color, and it was the line art that was the star. And, and, and Joe had some of the most brilliant, beautiful, gorgeous line art, line techniques, brush, quill. Um, there is nobody that he was not flexible and adaptable with. And again, at this period in his career, he was really in master class form. He is... Uh, 
you know, uh, just able to bring out the best. If you gave him a full, rich penciled piece, he was going to give you a fuller, richer inked piece. The handbook boasts of so many. Again, Walt Simonson and John Byrne have completely different approaches to penciling, and completely different approaches to inking. Joe inks them both wonderfully, masterfully. He brings out their strengths. Um, the uh, and, and and does not ever like make you feel like like there was something left behind. Even though both men. Uh, have a completely different. Um, John is more of a soft renderer, and and Walt is more of a hard line, very um, in some instances sketchy and Im improvisational in his line work. J Joe was able to adapt to any and all, to any and all. Mike Zek, I mean, I'm flipping by again. Mark Bright, I'm flipping by. Um, there were some really amazing illustrators that didn't do a whole lot of interior work, like a Sandy Plunkett. Look up that word, Sandy Plunkett, one of the most brilliant, beautiful, gorgeous uh, illustrators uh, that ever drew on paper, period. He, he, he did just a few interior stories and covers, but he did quite a few entries in the Marvel Universe handbook, and Joe always just polished just polished them so beautifully. He inked Frank Miller. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a set of people who I've run into who are like, oh, Klaus Janssen is, is the reason Frank Miller is possible, except no, uh, Frank Miller drew all four issues of the um, best-selling uh, classic legendary Wolverine miniseries that was inked, embellished by Joe Rubenstein, completely different in his approach than Klaus Janssen, and yet Frank is the towering success connective tissue between both. No one penciler hinges on any one inker, but Frank had the best of both worlds. He had Klaus Janssen, Terry Austin inked one issue, one outstanding issue of Daredevil, and then obviously Joe Rubenstein did his um, Wolverine series. Joe was, I just can't say enough how, how again, he was the perfect guy for the job. And I know for a fact the royalties on this, Joe, I think, was one of the most successful and best paid compensated inkers ever because he got all of the royalties. Um, pencilers got a little taste of each page, if they did a page, but Joe was getting royalties on all 22 pages of every issue or 40 pages because it goes to a more deluxe size, when, 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 especially this deluxe edition. In the deluxe edition, they decided to up the page count, up the the um, the money count, and I'm going to tell you guys, um, you know this this these were best selling books. These were top sellers. These were top sellers, and uh, and I mean th th these things were were uh, extremely popular. Everybody was grabbing them. Everybody. Um, you would go to the comic store, and if you, whatever comic you were buying, if the Marvel Universe handbook was out that week, the guy ahead of you, the guy behind you, they had the handbooks. So again, so popular, launched, um, conceived of in 82, launched 80, late 82, 83, runs through 85, at which point they issue the brand new. It runs through 84, at which point in 85 to 88, they do the new, the next 20 issues. And uh, and again, I mean, these are these are great, thick compendiums that give you the juice and the detail you want the height you want the strength you know and 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 they're great for the I mean we're detail oriented people that's why we love this stuff so it, it is only a matter of time because again we are a copycat business that that DC decides to embark and it's it's kind of runs alongside their giant crossover event series crisis on infinite earth that's going to redefine the the DC universe they publish DC's who's who they are, for all intents and purposes, the same format, except the way the art is presented. The height, 
the history, the color of the eyes, all this, you know, I mean, we can randomly crack open the DC Who's Who Omnibus. I have it right here. One is my Omnibus. My DC Omnibus is to my left. My Marvel Universe Handbook is to my right. So, Madam Xanadu, you haven't heard much of her, but Michael Kaluta penciled and inked this amazing entry in the DC Who's Who. She is 5'9". She weighs 125 pounds. Her eyes are green. Her hair is black. Boom. Okay, so give me somebody more uh, uh, worthwhile. Wally West, The Flash. Okay, he is 5'10", 179 pounds. Eyes blue, hair red. Boom. Okay. And then you've got his history. So so here's the deal. Len Wein and a guy, a really lovely gentleman named Bob Greenberger are tasked with the job of bringing you the DC who's who omniverse. Who's who in the DC universe. Again, fact files, history, important aspects of their you know, of their character, of their being are presented. Now, they do not have one master inker that's going to take on everybody. And in fact, this is where I get to DC worked harder. And I'm going to tell you right now, I favor the Who's Who Omnibus for the artwork alone. I favor it. They decided to pivot away from what Marvel was doing with just the standing, the strong character stance representative, okay? Just the, the strong figure, the strong figure of Hulk or Angel or Captain America or Wolverine, okay? They decided to do these elaborate collages. They gave artists basically the ability to, if you're going to draw Aquaman, you can draw Aquaman with his, you know, different aspects of his history and his origins swirling around him, you know, Atlantis, maybe how he, um, you know, you know, was drowning before he was saved and then, then him riding on a, on a, on a seahorse and wielding a triton all built around this central figure. And they used overlays and different color holds in the back Generally, the collage was in a different, was it all in, in blue or red or purple uh, outside of the strong character in action. These characters also weren't necessarily standing in stoic, strong, heroic positions as they were in the Marvel Universe handbook. They are in action. They are flying. They are running. I mean, Kid Flash is running. Um, Black Lightning. I have Black Lightning opening. Oh, open. Jefferson Pierce. He went to, he's a high school English teacher, Okay. Um, his marital status is divorced. I mean, right there, you are getting to look uh, at at all of this, and it's it's really exciting, and 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 it's height six one, weight one eighty two pounds. Um, Black Lightning in his depiction is standing there with the the powers crackling, and the lightning is crackling from his hands. There is a depiction of him as Jefferson Pierce, a high school uh, teacher. There is a picture of him in action. Um, throwing lightning bolts at the bad guys, and then another picture of him in action, battling one of his villains. So again, the collage approach to this is fantastic. When it came to um, big team shots, some of them are like Justice League, Justice Society. You know, Jerry Ordway will do this sprawling, you know, 15-page, I mean, 15-character uh, basically a, a poster that belongs in your wall of all the characters flying out towards you. I'm looking right now at Greg LaRocque and Larry Malstead's depiction of Legion of Superheroes, and it looks to me by my naked eye that there are 28 or so characters coming out at me. I see Superboy, Lightning Lad, uh, Wildfire, Dawnstar, Colossal Boy, Ultra Boy, uh, Block, Dream Girl, Supergirl, mon everybody. I mean, this thing is 100% packed, loaded to bear. Um, the illustrate the more illustrative um, aspect of who's who is what drew me to it, um, and 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 I was I was buying these for the art, both books, buying for the art. I was not as hung up on the facts and figures as I wanted the different the the the, the uh, either for costuming references or just for artistic 
action poses. George Perez draws the Brotherhood of Evil here, and it's got Manjomala, Haungen, Phobia, Plasmus, Warp, the Brain, uh, the uh, uh, Madame Rose, Garguax, and General Immortus. He's got insets of their faces on left and right, and in the middle, you get a great group shot charging for you. George Perez knocks it out of the park on every single one of his entries. One of my favorite entries ever in the DC Who's Who is, uh, I mean, I'm looking at this Jerry Ordway. I mean, just, his stuff is fantastic, is uh, Catman. You're like, life of really Catman? Yes. You want to know why? Art Adams, pencils and inks, Catman, with this strong, posed figure of Catman and the niece. Brilliant. Um, one, two, three, four, five different inset collage pieces. Catman is on fire fire. He never looked better, ne never to look better than he looks right here. Art Adams in full flex. Now you'll notice, again, a lot of these guys are penciling and inking their own work. Um, again, the, the collage aspect, capturing the character in action, and then the collage depicting history and action sequences made who's who artistically just absolutely um, irresistible. I, I, again, on the art side, I believe the extra effort gives DC the edge. The consistency is with the Marvel Universe handbook, but the editors who put the who's who together made certain that it was um, a top flight draw. Now, here's the deal. We're, we're, we're going to go a little further and we're going to have some fun with the who's who here because uh, Bob Greenberger shared um, some of the uh, some of the different um, um, kind of thoughts that went into creating this you know, this project. He said DC Who's Who editing it was his first comics assignment. Um, he was um, assisting Len Wein, who was editing the project. 24 issues was the goal. And uh, and eventually, Len Wein left the project and, and, and Bob took over the entire project on his own. Now here, just so you know, here's the guidelines for approaching the Who's Who creating the DC Who's Who compendium where you've got, again, every character A to Z, uh, and, and all of these different fact files with alongside some great artwork. Here, this is really interesting if you need to know how they went about determining who got what assignment. Bob shares here, if the character's originating artist was still alive and willing to do the art, that artist got the first right of refusal. So again, um, you know, had Siegel and Schuster been alive, they would have given you your Superman entry, okay? Um, all artists could submit wish lists and be consulted if the invited artist was to turn it down. So not just the the character's originating artist, but clearly they had somebody in mind and maybe they were had some something, uh, uh, an invitation to a certain artist and that artist, they had to wait for that artist to say no. And then if your, you know, submission was, was something that they wanted, they would then go pursue that character for you. Every single issue of Who's Who was supposed to feature at least one new artist. I'm not sure if they accomplished that goal, but that was the mission statement going, going out. Um, with that in mind, they got to work and they started to build this amazing project. Um, Bob says that even when Len left, he kept those rules that they established. He made it his mission to bring in artists from the independent field or the international field, many whose work he enjoyed as a reader himself. Um, he has great pride, obviously, in, in, in how he constructed this book. Um, he says that the first issue of Who's Who 
was filled with people feeling their way through the process. Again, you know, everyone's looking at somebody else and what somebody else is doing. So these collages, the grids, you know, that they wanted where they, the, 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 they would outline where the character should be placed, where the text was going to fall, and then you could go from there. Um, instructions for the main figure were given, as well as suggestions for background figure and information. And, uh, and so, so all of the professionals stepped up to deliver what was, again, a beautiful compendium. This DC Who's Who compendium is, is a beautiful collection. All of these omnibus editors at every company, Beyond Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, these guys do fantastic work. They're largely unheralded. I don't have time to list each and every one of them, but all of you collection editors, managers, um, you are doing a fantastic job. These books are really beautifully um, put together and presented. And thank you for putting the time to make what's sitting on my desk so fantastic. Um, the uh, Bob has his favorites. He lists several of his favorites. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to chime in with a couple. He was asked to list give a list of his favorites. And, and, and one of them is Camelot 3000. We haven't covered Camelot 3000 yet. It'll be in the second era of our fantasy podcast as we continue with the swords and sorcery theme. But Camelot 3000 was a 12-issue um, fantasy sci-fi yarn with, with, with the Knights of the Round Table being resurrected to, to, to battle back a worldwide alien invasion. And they had to get Excalibur. And there's a lot of, uh, of, of uh, you know, um, reincarnated characters like Lancelot reincarnated in a new body. Some, some like... In, 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 in reincarnated in actual alien bodies. It's, it's fantastic. Mike W. Barr, Brian Boland, Terry Austin, and Bruce, Bruce Patterson shared the inking source. Brian Boland did a double-page uh, presentation of Camelot 3000, and the background collage is Morgana Le Fay in a nasty stare-down with Merlin, but all of the other knights led by King Arthur raising their swords or their weapons like it's a poster. It should be a poster. This this Camelot three thousand double page spread in in DC Comics Who's Who. It is it is gorgeous. It should be a poster. Um, uh, Brian Boland uh, was not a. He did obviously the Killing Joke, which is acclaimed with Alan Moore. This this acclaimed Joker Batman tone. But prior to that, did a lot of uh, Judge Dredd um, work over in 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 with British publishers. He's an, an English artist and. Camelot 3000 was his big American flex. It was the perfect vehicle for him. It is one of the finest, most beautifully, commercially appealing uh, illustrated books of all time. And 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 DC did all 12. It was, it, it is, I mean, you will look at the pages. The art is so delicious. Um, he did this double pager. And again, it, 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 it's the different flavor of what you're going to get in the Marvel Universe handbook, okay? He also lists Catwoman by Dave Stevens. Dave Stevens is no longer with us. He created The Rocketeer. He had one of the most lush, gorgeous uh, pencil and ink lines that you could ever possibly imagine. He was a master of of the form, mainly the, the female form. Um, and, and, and getting him to do Catwoman, I agree with Bob Greenberger, was an absolute slam dunk. His Catwoman uh, with this beautiful swinging figure of Catwoman hanging off the line. Um, swinging across the page is gorgeous, and then the inset, her and Batman. Um, you've got and an, an a beautiful shot of Selena Kyle. Um, it's it, it's stunning. I mean, some of the work done by these people is one it is just, just stunning. Um, <clears throat> uh, another standout in here, he calls out Paul Smith of the X Men. 
uh, did a, a really beautiful Hawkwoman. They had finally graduated Hawk Girl to Hawkwoman, and he asked Paul Smith, and I agree, the elegance of this shot of Hawkwoman flying across the page with a spear, and then all of the different inset, uh, the, the, the collage piece. And I've seen these some of these collage pieces. George Perez drew some of his. I've held some of the original boards, bought some of the original boards. George did his in overlays. He'd do a ven vellum overlay. Um, he draw he draw the actual figures like Aqualad and Aquagirl are kind of swimming around each other in their entry. They're together, and then he did the overlay on a vellum piece of artwork, and it's, they're just beautiful. Some people just did them all and and let the uh, separations people at in 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 the you know production process either at the offices in production or at the printer separate the 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 back collage channel from the strong figure channel. So, so again, they were always the, the, the collages in all of these DC who's who's the, um, basically the history collage is, is, is in, a, is in a different color and it's a screen back knockout, a color hold the, again, he cites the Jerry Ordway justice society. And again, by my naked eye, there's 26 figures coming at us. It is a poster. This should be a justice society poster for all time. It is that the justice society has never looked better, um, all of the, they are the representatives of the golden age of superheroes at DC Comics, Dr. Fate, Spectre, the original Green Lantern, the older Superman, Dr. Midnight, Star-Spangled Kid, Our Man, I mean Huntress, Power Girl. This is beautiful. Again, Jerry Ordway stepped it up, pencil and ink, and ink this. It was a double page entry in the book. Okay, so what's more, what, 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 what is equally compelling to me, now this is the cool stuff is that when it came to somebody like Superman, so Siegel and Schuster aren't alive. You can't get the guys who created Superman. They have passed. They are no longer with us. So for Superman, the classic Superman, um, Bob even admits to a cheat he, here. He depicted the Silver Age Superman. He went and got Wayne Boring, who was one of the classic Superman, Silver Age Superman artists, to draw the piece and then get the modern Jerry Ordway, who was doing the modern Superman, Adventures of Superman book, to finish it and complete it. So he merged Silver Age, Bronze Age, because that's when these were published. And that's Jerry was one of the hottest, you know, artists in the business. And so he was he started out as an inker, graduated to penciling and inking all of his own work. And uh and 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 yet his his prowess as an inker has always been just completely celebrated. And Jerry uh, uh, inking Wayne Boring is the perfect, it's the chef's kiss. Okay. Now to compliment this, he then kind of goes to the more modern Superman and asks Kurt Swan, who's the most celebrated Superman artist of all time. Um, I mean the legend for Superman just by himself to draw the new, the, the John Byrne new relaunch that, that we've also covered extensively on this podcast when John Byrne relaunches Man of Steel for the modern era. It was late, you know, S, so it came out concurrently with what John was doing. Okay, that's how he could pull this off. So Kurt Swan pencils it, John Byrne inks it. John Byrne, again, capable in his in his prowess as an inker, comes in and does the polish over Kurt Swan's classic pencils. Bob, I mean, these are two brilliant. The Wayne Boring, Jerry Ordway Superman is gorgeous. The Kurt Swan, John Byrne piece is gorgeous. These are beautiful. It's a way to get the old and the new, mash them up, the best of both worlds. Now that is what you can't get if you're at Marvel. Joe Rubenstein is inking everything, so you can't do these creative mishmash, mishmash, mashups, okay? And that, hats off to Bob Greenberger. He did a spectacular job. On Wonder Woman, he got Trina Robbins, who was a 
obviously getting the female representative. She had done a miniseries of the Amazon princess. He got her to draw the classic, you know, golden age. Wonder Woman and then got George Perez, the, the person who was doing the modern Wonder Woman to ink her and then got George to do pencil and ink the modern um, version. So he did some really creative bites at the apple here. I mean, it was really, really um, creative. But I think the, the, the best way to, to kind of uh, wrap all of this up, and this is incredible. When I read this to you, you are going to be blown away, especially in, in regard to um, um, the who's who, the DC who's who, which I think gave a little more artistic freedom, wasn't as stringent. That doesn't mean that the Marvel Universe handbook is any less as a result of those stringent um, guidelines. The strong characters, as I flip through there, there's a great shot of Magneto and Wolverine and Cap and Longshot and all my favorite characters, and they're drawn exactly as I want to see them. Strong in strong, you know, stances and definitively seeing what they look like from head to toe and polished by Joe Rubenstein, whether it's Art Adams, Walt Simonson, John Byrne, Kerry Gamble, Frank Miller, okay? In DC Who's Who... There was a little more artistic license to play in because that you got that little collage history element. You could do more with the design elements and and and, cre- and the pages were were even more interesting. So the uh, when he 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 set out to do this, Bob again went out of his way to get a lot of people who weren't doing normal work for DC Comics. He got Steve Root of Nexus. He got Jim Valentino of Normal Man. He got Tim Truman of Grimjack. Matt Wagner of Grendel. The list goes on. Wendy Peeney of, of of ElfQuest. So he got a lot of these people to jump in and do entries of characters that he thought that they would depict in the best possible manner, manner given their you know their 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 various styles. But if I told you. That DC Comics Who's Who does not have one single entry by some of these artists. You're going to, your jaw's going to hit the floor like my jaw hit the floor. And I remember as a kid going, where's Neil Adams? Because let's start with Neil Adams. He's nowhere to be found. There is not Neil Adams who was the definitive Batman artist, the definitive Green Lantern artist, the definitive Superman artist. Whatever Neil Adams touched in the Bronze Era, end of Silver Age, all through Bronze, was the definitive version of that character. Why? How am I saying that? Am I overstating it? No. Superman, his definite, his version of Superman was calendars, posters, Slurpee cups. They were T-shirts. They were um, they were they were peachy uh, folder covers, notebook covers. They were immediately licensed everywhere. Batman record albums, T-shirts, cups, um, you know, uh, uh, calendars, posters, everything that you would find in at your Kmart, your you know, Gemco, the stores of the age, your J.C. Penney, your Sears, your Sears catalog. Neil Adams' art became the art that was associated with all these characters. He is nowhere to be found with one single entry in the DC Who's Who. Here's why. When Neil began drawing covers and interiors in the later 60s, he was obviously a breath of fresh air. Um, he, He revitalized Batman, Green Lantern, all these characters, became the definitive Superman character, gave us the best illustrated comic book of all space and time in Superman, Muhammad Ali. You can try and argue that. You will lose. Go get it. You will immediately about midway through, you'll go, yeah, life feels right. I'm done. Um, Neil was a champion for creator's rights and he was no longer comfortable working for district work for higher contracts. He refused to sign. He did this with Marvel at the same time. That's why we didn't get an X-Men graphic novel that Neil started a pencil. He and Jim Shearer could not come to terms because he had this very hardline stance against work for higher contracts. He refused to sign the, the legal agreement um, for the for the work for hire arrangement required to do the, the any who's who entry. Um, and and uh, you know he just he just had a hardline stance. They wouldn't change it for him. And as a result, 
uh, you are not given his Batman, who Bob says he would have been asked to draw Batman, Razaz Ghoul, uh, Talia, and and so many more. Probably Green Lantern. Okay, so so Neil had a hard business stance. DC wasn't willing to work with around it. Bob does say that soon after this happened, and 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 the company started doing deluxe format reprints. Um, you know, uh, uh, they, they, they were open to maybe discussing things along those lines, but it did not come together in time to secure Neil Adams, who does not appear in this book at all. Um, so, so, uh, so, so, so you have a who's who, um, you know, and, and trust me, I, my favorite Neil Adams work is his X-Men run that failed to move the needle. It, it, it's because they're, they're temple touchers and arm casters and, and Roy Thomas, uh, uh, writes and, and is interviewed extensively about how he figured if they could just get Neil Adams to do this X-Men run that the book would turn a corner. It didn't. And that's what solidified the fact that it was the characters and the, their their kind of lack of flair and commercial appeal much more so because the Neil Adams run on X-Men is to me my the most the best art that he ever produced outside of Superman Muhammad Ali. The best consecutive I mean the, the artwork is fantastic. The faces, the figures, the storytelling, the dynamics. Um, I, I, they have been reprinted extensively. The Neil Adams X-Men run you can get. I went on a Neil Adams page. I said that that's my favorite Neil Adams work. I got hammered. What do you mean? Neil's a definitive DC artist. That's why I'm telling you the story. His Green Lantern, his Superman, his Batman. So there is an entire world of Neil Adams fans that outnumber me quite a bit that believe, screw his Marvel work. His Marvel work doesn't matter. Avengers, X-Men, forget it. It's his DC work that matters. He is not represented in the DC who's who. It's a weird omission. Okay, another giant one, the Buscema brothers. He says that he tried to get John Buscema. He, he, John Buscema, he knew he was out of reach. John was a Marvel mainstay. He had little hope of swaying him, and he did not. Um, he thought to get Sal Buscema and spoke to him about it, but right when Sal was ready to commit, he thought better of it, claims Bob, and declined. So neither Buscema brother, um, it, it crosses over. Nick Cardi is a name we haven't talked about on this show a lot, but he is kind of a... Um, it, well, first of all, he is a gorgeous artist and and, and uh, was kind of the, the... He inherited the role of cover artist from Neil Adams in the late 60s, early 80s. They share a very stylistic approach to what they do. Nick Cardi is is gorgeous. He, so many Teen Titans covers, Aquaman covers, just um, Army, all of their military book covers just come to mind. He was not... He was... Uh, it says that Nick was on the outs with DC. He was he had kind of uh, um, had a long-standing grudge against them at that time, and they were not able to convince him. It would have been great to see the Silver Age Teen Titans at the very least, because least because Nick Cardi actually drew the book, including the covers, and he is again an accomplished artist. Um, Will Eisner um, did not pop up in the DC Who's Who. A great, I mean, just such a simple opportunity to get him a page. But he was not given a page. So um, um, another giant omission, and, and, and again, put this to the test. This is the editor telling you this. Frank Miller, Frank Miller, no less, he got his start drawing a Batman story that appeared in their holiday special, okay? He got his start in DC in the mid-70s. Um, he then went, obviously, to Marvel to be an overnight sensation on Daredevil. Uh, this is all, you know, Bob's words. He came back to DC to pioneer the format and the content of Ronin. He segued from Ronan into his classic acclaimed God status, Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Um, we thought it would be great if he could fit a, a page or two in. So um, uh, Lynn decided that he would at least float 
the idea of getting at least a page or not Len, Bob. Bob Greenberg decided that he would try and get uh, Frank Miller to do maybe some sort of entry in Who's Who. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, they were informed he was too busy to include it. And, uh, and, and the irony in this, I cannot, I cannot not include this now that this is out there. Bob himself put this out there into the universe. I've even told Bob, I loved that he shared this. He laughed. Um, but, uh, Bob Greenberg was asked to help and assist on Dark Knight Returns in editing it and, and running the schedule. And Dick Giordano had personally asked him to give him a hand. So uh, Bob had read through the material and had made the mistake of looking at the current schedule and saw that Frank was running behind. He felt like he had a, he knew Frank. He had had discussions before him in the past. And, and, and as part of now the editorial unit, he would feel free to call Frank on behalf of the project and say um, that, that he was noted that he told him how great he loved he loved the book. He thought it was going to be a big hit for DC. He loved the work, but he did note that um, that he was running a little behind on the schedule. He was running a little late. Bob notes that the next day he was removed from the Dark Knight uh, project. He was removed as the editor, and uh, that's how it goes, people. I mean, Frank's a big deal, and there were a couple issues of Dark Knight that did in fact ship late. It is it did not affect the legacy of the book at all. But Bob is a schedule hound. Um, this is what he did, Bob. I, I, I think my first DC comp story that I drew was in an issue of Warlord, which I didn't get to in the fantasy issue. And Bob Greenberger um, uh, uh, edited that book. Um, and so, and finally, so Frank Miller, no Frank Miller, no Neil Adams, no Will Eisner. These are giant staples um, of, of the comics industry who are not in the who's who issue. But um, Barry Windsor Smith, who had taken comics by storm, who was back on the scene, just everybody jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping. Um, he had uh, he had re-entered the comic scene. They attempted to connect with him. They were not able to, um, uh, uh, you know, obtain him. Jim Steranko, who who was one of the biggest names in comics in the in the, in the early seventies, stepped in for Kirby. Did an incredible Captain America run, an incredible run on Shield. Those two runs made him a superstar. He, um, while he eventually uh, did uh, contribute to a pinup in Superman four hundred, he was unable. Uh, to uh, to to uh, contribute to Husu, and finally Bernie Wrightson, emblematic of the new generation of artists that arrived in the late '60s and early '70s, an atmospheric artist uh, of, of 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 much acclaim. Uh, he had also an issue with the work for hire com uh, contracts with DC at the time, and he declined. And Bob Greenberg um, obviously regrets that not Frank Miller, not Neil Adams, not Jim Stranko, not Barry Windsor Smith, not uh, Bernie Wrightson were able to contribute. Will Eisner were able to contribute to this book. So that is kind of a cool little like slice and dice of history. But let me tell you something. Overall, these are magnificent um, tomes. Both of these should be in your collection. They are out now. If you can't afford the omnibuses, again, go online, go on Amazon, go on eBay, go to your comic store, see if they have some back issues, see if they have some of the earlier trade paperbacks. They are ridiculously entertaining. They came out. They were competing with each other the entire time. Again, it's a it's a copycat business. Um, the, the DC's Who's Who has just some of the most brilliant. Uh, every piece in here by George Perez, he locked it in. John Byrne, all of your favorites. 
um, except for uh, the aforementioned Neil Adams, Frank Miller, Jim Steranko, Bernie Wrightson, Barry Windsor Smith. Okay, so um, Kirby did some great stuff in here. Some great people take turns inking him. Marv Wolfman, a writer, draws an entry for one of the villains he created in The Brotherhood of Evil, and George Perez inks it. Art Adams kills you with whatever he puts in this book. These are the pages flipping. Again, who's who is to my left. Marvel Universe Handbook Omnibus is to my left, my right. They are beautiful. They are a time that is rich in all of our lives. They give you all your nitty gritty details, heights. You know, so when you can, when when uh when you complain that Hugh Jackman is too tall and you, but you don't know exactly how much, now you do. You know it because you're going to have that Marvel Universe Handbook. Great art. Both of them both both fantastic figures, beautiful drawings, illustrations of some of the greatest um, comic book characters of all time by some of the greatest talents of all time. So you guys, I highly recommend checking both of these out. They were Bronze Age champions and they are chock full of great details. I know my own kids, my nephew, they love the details, the character stuff. They'll tell you exactly where Prince Namor was last seen before he appeared in Fantastic Four, you know, and re-emerged among the Marvel Universe and Galactus. Just how many planets did he eat anyway, okay? So again, I thank you for walking down this amazing competing handbook segment. They are electric. They are awesome. The art is killer. Hopefully you learned something today. Um, the, uh, the the Marvel one just, again, outsold DC. Who's, even Bob Greenberg in an interview was like, you know, we, 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 we just couldn't catch them in sales, but, but the who's who was worthwhile nonetheless. You know that this is now the time of the show where I share with you the different, um, generous, very ridiculously, generous um, reviews that you have chosen to leave. I need you guys to spread the word. Tell people um, tell people about observations. Um, please share your enthusiasm for this show across all social media, word of mouth. Tell your friends. We, 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 we love um, the, the, how the audience is expanding and growing, but we need your help to continue on that track. Everybody and their mother is doing a podcast, right? They are. I see it every day. Um, but your reviews are are so important and, and I am so thrilled to bring them to you. I'm gonna go deep into the vault here and go back uh back to um to uh uh you know um the, 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 some some of these other reviews and here's one from from February from Shadrach. Shadrach it says Rob loves comics, his passion is infectious, it makes me want to go back and read his favorite issues. Look at Favorite panels of art. He has great stories and perspectives on things I would never have thought about. Seems weird that the highest praise I can say of someone in the industry is that they love comics. Rob loves comics the most. Thank you for Deadpool, X-Force, New Mutants, Major X. Uh, it says, Rob is awesome. His stories are great and refreshingly honest. Um, a rare gift in comics these days. Love the podcast, Rob. Rob has the best podcast out there. It's not even close. We love you, Rob. Thank you so much, Shadrach, C-H-A-D-E-R-A-C-K. And the um, last review we're going to share with you today, I, I thank you so much for leaving these, is from Whitesell, DDS. This was left just this last week. Whitesell, D-D-S, W-H-I-T-E-S-E-L-L, capital D, capital D, S, capital S. I started listening to Rob's observations because I love Deadpool and M.A., fan of comics and Rob Liefeld. After only one season of his show, I discovered the 70s and 80s, and now I'm a true fan of the source material that has fueled the MCU and the DCU. My comic book collection has grown immensely after season one, much to the dismay of my wife. Sorry about that. 
Um, I, I apologize in advance. Rob's energy and knowledge of the industry truly makes this a great listen. Thank you, White Soul DDS. Thank you, guys. Keep those reviews coming. I will read them on the air at the end of every episode before we sign off. And it is time to say goodbye. Thank you for hanging with me. Dueling handbooks. I mean, so many character entries. You will get lost in these. You will look over these giant collection DC Who's Who Marvel Universe handbook, and you will be just. You will just have the best time. Fantastic art contained in both. Great information, great stats, great history. Okay, thank you. I am on social media, on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name, with a little check so you know it's real me, really me. I'm not DMing you. I'm not going to try and shake you down in a DM. That is not who I am. And you will know that because the check. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Much simpler, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Rob Liefeld. Find me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I am all over Facebook. I am all over social media. I love hanging out, talking to you guys, sharing opinions, um, listening to your input. Thank you so much for all of the um, just interaction that we have. I, it just it, it's such a kick. It, it's such a kick. I am going to get back to 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 drawing comics this morning. Uh, th- this time is almost up. I have stretched it as much as I think I possibly can. You are going to continue to stay safe. We are we are walking out of this ridiculous period that we have been in. We lived through this together. We're walking out. The light is right there. We are almost through the tunnel. It's right there in front of us. We are going to have a great summer. All of you are going to stay safe and you are going to take care of yourselves. And we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 